beautiful humans, welcome to another episode of Role Models, Juicy Conversations with Beautiful Humans. I'm Jennifer Norman, founder of the Human Beauty Movement and your host. This podcast thrives on your support, so if you like what you hear, follow us, rate us, review us, and share this episode with everyone you know across your networks. Mental health is such an important subject matter, and so today we're going to discuss the topic of mental illness. I want to do my part to erase prejudice against people with mental illness, and so I'm passing the mic today to my special guest, Rabbi Alfredo Baradowski. Alfredo is also known as the bipolar rabbi. In June 2013, Rabbi Alfredo was arrested for impersonating a police officer. Shortly after that, he was fired from his job. He was ridiculed in the press as the road rage rabbi. And it took some time, but things eventually turned around when Rabbi Alfredo discovered the power of positive psychology. In his upcoming interactive book, The Wisdom of Mental Illness, illness, finding strength in your struggles, Rabbi Alfredo teaches us all how we can move mental illness from stigma to dignity. Welcome, Rabbi Alfredo. It's such a pleasure to be here, Jennifer. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to share my story and to bring dignity to mental illness. It is my honor. Now, first, can you tell us about your diagnosis? What is bipolar disorder? Well, I am the bipolar rabbi. Then clearly I am all out there. There is not a mental illness that fits all. I think that mental illness, we need to look at case by case. Then I can tell you a little clearly bipolar has to be with mood change, fluctuations. There is manic period. There are periods of depression. In my case, I have more mania than depression. Then I get hyperactive. I have endless energy. With that endless energy, I have a lot of creativity, but also my judgment decreases. My sense of infallibility and grandiosity. I can do everything. I can conquer the world. I take Jennifer 20 projects at the same time. You know, when I was on my worst many, I was writing three books simultaneously. I was not sleeping. I was not eating. I was going to work before they even opened the building. Then I was in some way erratic on my behavior. And what happened with my bipolar, as many takes over, I take the risk of burning out. Yeah of not being dangerous because people who have a mental illness, there is a misconception. You know to whom they are dangerous? Mostly to themselves. Mm. The first victim of somebody with mental illness is the self, okay? Then I was not taking care of myself. Bipolar is this pendulum where you go from depression to mania. Some people do it rapidly. They have rapid change moods. Some people like me, it's more seasonal. During the summer, I get manic. Mm. And during the winter, I get more depressive, you know, depressed. But with time, I was able to recognize my patterns, okay? And that's what I suggest with people with bipolar. Usually, there are some patterns. Begin learning who you are, you know, how the seasons, how the months of the year trigger you. Interesting. And I was just going to ask if it was predominantly genetic or environmental, and it sounds like it's a mixture of both. Yes. We actually, we are beginning, just beginning to understand how the brain works. I mean, it's such a complex organism and we're making tremendous progress. But I think that 100 years from now, Jennifer, we're going to look back and we're going to feel that we are in the prehistoric times, we're in the cave <laughs> times of, men, of brain knowledge. Then we are in the infancy, actually, of how the brain works. 
It's so true. You know, my son has a genetic disorder and I can recall when he was diagnosed, there was so very little known genetically and neurologically about his condition. Now there's a little bit more, but there's still such a long way to go. So I totally agree with you when it comes to us and our opportunity to learn more and know more. So when were you diagnosed with bipolar disorder? Well, I had to crash in order to be diagnosed. I mean, you mentioned I was impersonating a police officer. I was super manic and I was taking an antidepressant. Then the mixture, the cocktail of mania, antidepressant pushed me to lose judgment. I wasn't violent. A retired police, a congregant of mine, gave me a friend and family police badge. Then when he gave me that, it played on my grandiosity of my mania. And I just drove down the highway and told people to drive more carefully or to stop texting until I had the luck or the fortune of telling the girlfriend of a policeman of the town of Amaronek to drive more carefully. Hundreds of cars that were available. I went straight to the girlfriend of the police in town. Okay. Two minutes later, he was on my tail with his patrol. I was uh, clearly arrested. As you mentioned, I was fired from my job. I was baptized by the press as the the road rage rabbi. Actually, my road rage rabbi was on front page of newspapers in Ireland and Japan. You know, such a big deal. But, you know, I was a rabbi. was clearly a juicy news. And through that process, I was hospitalized. And only at that point, I was diagnosed bipolar really late in life. I was over 50. Uh You know, imagine if I would have been diagnosed in my 20s, I would have had a different life. Then I want to tell everybody listening is that you feel or somebody tells you from your family that there is something off. You know, that at certain periods you are too energetic, that you lack judgment. Go to a professional, mm-hmm. okay? Don't wait until you crash like I did. And my life is so much better, Jennifer, now that I'm taking care of myself. It has radically changed for the best. Then I was lucky that I was arrested, actually, yeah. and that brought me to the hospital, and I was able to take care of myself. Now, clearly before that, you mentioned that you were on antidepressants and it was a bad mixture, a bad cocktail in terms of reacting with the mania that you had. So you did know that you had a history of some sort of illness or disorder, and you just didn't know that it was bipolar until that moment that you got into the hospital and received this new diagnosis. And I think that's important because there is an interrelatability between certain of these diagnoses, whether it be depression or mania or schizophrenia, or yes, even bipolar disorder. Isn't that right? Well, my wife told me many times, you had to go to see somebody. She got tough on me. I mean, she said, you're going. And when I went to the psychiatrist, with mania, I lied. Uh. I lied to keep my mania because when you're manic, you're enjoying life. You have energy, you have creativity, okay? You don't want to give it up. Then I went to the psychiatrist and I told a story about depression and depression and depression and depression. And logically, the psychiatrist gave me an antidepressant. But when I went to see him like a couple of weeks later and he saw me, he said, Alfredo, you are not, something here is not right. But what did I do? I said, well, the one who is not right is you. I feel better than ever. And I never went back. Mm -hmm. And he called me and he left messages. And I never went back because the mania made me feel great. I don't want this to be taken away from me. Then I run away from my psychiatrist. I have a couple of months of 
ante the present, then I can make candy available. And was summer, you know, summer for me are the is a season of, of mania with the sun and with exercising, you know, the sun and the long days trigger my mania. And they gave me a badge, okay? The badge, by the way, the courtesy badges should be illegal. I'm not trying to justify my actions. But by the same token, I think that people in position of authority giving to friend and family a replica of the badge clearly to get off their own violations because what else are you going to use them for? Should be illegal, okay? Again, I don't want to make excuses, but I have to say that I don't know what else I would have done without the badge, okay? Maybe spend all my money, okay? Things like that. But I think that the issue of criminality for me mm. was directly related to to being enabled by that badge. Mm -hmm. That's what happened, Jennifer. I, regardless of my wife begging me to continue going to the psychiatrist, I sneaked out. Mm. And so you knew that there was something imbalanced, but you didn't necessarily see it as debilitating. You actually looked at it as something that was a positive and a benefit and perhaps a gift. You know when you are in a room and there is an air conditioner and you're working yeah. and suddenly you turn it off and you say, oh my God, it was making so much noise, so much white noise. You didn't even know it because you were in the noise. Yeah. Then I had bipolar since, early, you know, since for decades. It was already the white noise. It was my way of life. I felt that something was off, always. But by the same token, it became my natural way of being. And unfortunately, I needed a disruption. I needed a crisis to turn off the air, a conditioner for a minute to be able to take care of myself. The wisdom that I would like to, to share with people listening, the wisdom is to listen to those who love you and may tell you, take care of yourself, something is not right, and listen to yourself. Do not wait for a crisis to to go to a psychiatrist, to a therapist or a social worker. Don't wait until the crisis comes, which is the way that happens with many people. You know, they take care of themselves once they crash against the wall. It's not necessary. You can avoid it. Yeah. And I was just going to say, you are a highly intelligent, highly functioning human being. Clearly, you are highly educated. You've got a law degree from the University of Buenos Aires. You've got a doctorate of Jewish philosophy from the Jewish Theological Seminary, a Glean Fellowship for Entrepreneurs spirituality from Columbia University Business School and a master's of social work degree from Adelphi University. So your mental illness didn't impact your ability to learn or function. And so it's easy to see how somebody can be very comfortable or not necessarily think that anything is necessarily wrong until something very severe happens. But I was curious, aside from the seasonality, are there other triggers for your mental illness to all of a sudden come about? Well, don't relate to me if I don't sleep well for a week. Mm -hmm. Okay, for me, sleeping is, is crucial. Okay, exercising for me is crucial. I can tell you this rabbi practices MMA, mixed martial arts. Wow. I go to a UFC high-level training of martial arts and MMA, and I enjoy it. I am almost 60, and I'm still fighting with the 20 years old. But for me, it's essential, essential to have to do that. Now, as to my degrees, yes, I have even many more that I didn't mention to you. Then, yes, the mania, that was good. You have endless energy. You have creativity. But you know, looking back, Jennifer, I'd rather would have had two degrees. 
we focus in life and not 20 degrees going all over. Then it's a mixed blessing. You know, I don't regret. I love to study and I like to accomplish things. But my many also was like a, a machine that was never, you know, full. And, and I went from project to project to project. I couldn't focus. And that's part of the mania. And the mania, it takes away from you the possibility of reflecting. Yeah. You are highly effective. You are able, like me, to have a passion for learning. Mm-hmm. But by the same token, you dance in too many melodies at the same time. Mm-hmm. Then that's something that people can also recognize, that you can recognize in yourself. What is your capacity to focus? What is your balance between creativity and effectiveness? These are all indications of your health. I agree. Now, why don't we talk about the turnaround? Because clearly you were hospitalized. And then after a period of time, you found the power of positive psychology. Tell our listeners about that. Then I was actually arrested in four different counties and I have four different trials going on. The police representative in Westchester, where I live, said that they would make an exemplar out of me. Then between the press and being an exemplar, things were tough. And for eight months, my lawyer said, lay low. We cannot get a deal. And lay low meant for me depression. Mm. Okay. And one day I wake off my couch. I used to spend hours in the couch. And I go to my desk and I see the results of an instrument called the VIA instrument, Values in Actions, which is the instrument of positive psychology that maps your strengths. And I look at my five top strengths, and they are creativity. Mm-hmm. curiosity, love of learning, perseverance, and bravery. And I tell you, I look at the five top strengths, and it was magical. I pulled me out of depression. Mm-hmm. I, I said, wow, I didn't know. I had forgotten how strong I am and what are the strengths I have. And I said, what can I do with these strengths? Curiosity, creativity. And I did what I do best, which you mentioned. I went back to learn. But this time, to learn something related to my condition. And I went back to school to become a social worker. Then in this case was going back to school with a purpose. Mm-hmm. was going back to school because social workers had been instrumental, Jennifer, on giving and healing me as I was in the hospital. I think that social workers do not get the credit they deserve. Absolutely. Okay? Like yeah. teachers and social workers and nurses, you know, we have this problem of misplacing dignity and misplacing uh, it's just people who are listening know what I'm talking about. I mean, what is success? What is kindness? What is compassion? Yeah. What is dedication? And we don't reward them the way we should. I wanted to be like them. Then I went back to school. I was 56 and I was manic and I was depressed. And I went back to school and I tell you, I had to create a system within my illness and mania to write papers, okay, to go to class. Some students who knew my situation were my gatekeepers. When I couldn't go to class, they took notes for me. They supported me. I found a community within the students, the social workers. They were loyal to who they wanted to be. And going back to school and being among the young people and learning, that infused life back to me. That is beautiful. So now you combine knowledge of conventional healthcare with spiritual wisdom. So tell us, what does spirituality have to do with all of this? Well, look, I have been reading for a year articles 
scientific articles, evidence-based articles on the relationship of spirituality and mental health. And I tell you, article at article by the most prestigious scientists, many by, by the way, by the British Psychiatrist Royal Association, by broad studies done in California by the government, they all show that praying for many people is beneficial for mental health. Mm -hmm. That prayer in many forms, individual prayer, communal prayer, are wonderful to diminish depression. And it makes sense because when you are the oppressed within yourself, you are limited within yourself. And prayer is an attempt to transcend the self into something beyond that in some way breaks the chains of depression. Then religion also and spirituality studies show gives a framework of meaning to the person. Mm -hmm. Okay. And a life without meaning meaning is depressive life. And certainly the power of spirituality and religion is in community. And if you find the right community, regardless of who you believe, then you have a supporting group. Then the other thing about spirituality, Jennifer, is that I do spirituality because it has an holistic view of the person. Yeah. I don't see the person as a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I see the person as a totality. Mm -hmm. My upcoming book that you mentioned, you know, the wisdom of mental illness, mm -hmm the finding strength in your struggles. There are 14 chapters, and one chapter is on self-esteem. One chapter is on wholeness. One chapter is on acceptance, on prayer, on diagnosis, on taking your pills. Okay? Then you look at the chapters and on existential issues that had to do not with diagnosis, but with the totality of the person. By the way, let me tell you that the book is a very special book because it's an interactive book. Mm. Every chapter has multiple links where the reader just click on the link, is sent to a dedicated website, and the person shares his or her wisdom about mental illness. And the goal is to create a community of wisdom of mental illness, which we don't have. It's all about how we are defective when we talk about mental illness. I want to turn things around. Let's share our wisdom. And that's a way to fight stigma. Yes. To give wisdom to the world, not to beg compassion, but to give an added value to society, to be respected for our wisdom. I saw on your website that you say, I believe that it's like not empathy, but dignity. Yes, exactly. We don't want empathy, okay? Well, we want empathy, okay? <laughs> give us all the empathy you want, okay? But we want dignity. You know, dignity is comes from the self. Dignity comes from what you give and not what others give you. Dignity is come from keeping your head high. And I, what I want people with mental illness is to find their self-worth. Mm -hmm. And once they find their self-worth, they are going to emanate confidence and wisdom to society. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's for me the path to move from stigma to dignity. Can you share with us some of the takeaways from positive psychology? Yes, traditional psychology is about mostly about fixing you, about traumas, okay? You go with a problem. And by the way, that's great because, you know, show me a person without a trauma, okay? <laughs> then, you know, I go to the psychologist every week, the therapy every week, and actually I go to the psychoanalyst, which is cool of preference basically by all Argentinians. You know, you go to Argentina, they have more psychoanalysts per capita than any other city in the world, Buenos Aires. Oh. It's the capital of psychoanalysis. But what positive psychology shows is that we all have strength and we
we need to rely on what works as much as what does not work. And studies show that two-thirds of people cannot mention their own strengths. And how can you flourish in life? How can you thrive in life? You don't know the tools by which you can create your life. Then, then what I work with people and what I coach people, what we do is establish the strength of the person. And what happens is that once you establish the strength, self-esteem increases immediately. And the other thing that happens is that once you know your strength, you immediately ask the question, what do I do with them? Then by knowing your strength, you move immediately to goals. Because you say, I am strong. What can I do? I have, in my case, love of learning. What can I learn? I am curious. What can I explore? I am creative. What can I create? Then positive psychology immediately moves you into state of achievement and flourishing. Mm -hmm. And I see, by the way, transformations, incredible transformations when people say, really? That's my strength? You know, Alfredo, I didn't know it. Wow. Mm -hmm. Marvelous. Now, what are some of those things that you would want to say to people suffering with mental illness? Look, first of all, you're not guilty of anything, okay? I don't think that you were given a mental illness because you deserve it. I think that it's random, even if it's genetic, and there is a genetic component that you got it genetically is random too. I believe that you have to make meaning of mental illness, not because you deserve it, but because you have it. Okay? And once you have it, then okay, let's make lemonade out of it. Now, I also believe that who else but you knows more about resilience, courage, hope, darkness, bravery, mm-hmm. endurance than you. Tell me some other person who has gone through experiences where all those negative and positive emotions had played in your life. Mm-hmm. What you have not done, as I see with people with mental illness, go through the process of transforming your experience into wisdom, mm-hmm. to articulate your pain and suffering into wisdom. You know, I tell you a story, Jennifer. I was uh, hospitalized once, and then I went into what is called the outpatient program, mm-hmm. which is a daily program. You come to the hospital in the morning, and you go home later on. And I was looking at the workshops I had there. Look at the workshops. What did you style of anger? How do you fight? How do you go through conflict? And I was sitting at my home and looking at the workshop and say, wait a minute, who told you that I am angry? Who told you that they have conflicts? And who told you that I am fighting? Why nobody asked me the following? Alfredo, you've been in a psychiatric ward for 10 days. Tell me what you have learned about hope. Mm. Tell me what you have learned about compassion, being with other people who are suffering. Tell me what you can learn about freedom, that you lost it and now you have it again. Why nobody asked me about the positive things I've learned and I can teach. We have a systemic problem in which we are focusing always in what is effective and what we can fix. And nobody's asking people with mental illness, what is your teaching? And then what I would say, people listening, Jennifer, your question is, you are masters of life. You are natural life coaches. Shift your mind. Begin asking yourself the question, what can I teach? Mm -hmm. Have a journal. Each time you go through a crisis, sit down and write the takes away. Okay? Let the community of people with mental illness become a community of wisdom. That's my quest. Mm. And what would you say to caregivers of those with mental illness? Oh, the heroes. The heroes of the story. The silent heroes. I know. You did not chose this one, my friends. Okay? I feel more for you than people with mental illness. You know, you ask me... 
My greatest respect is for those who are taking care of us. You didn't choose this life. You could have had a different life. I know that feeling. But you need to know the reward. The reward of loving, the reward of bringing dignity to a person. I can't think about something of higher degree of humanity. I want to recognize you and recognize all the people who have taken care of me, so many of them, professionals and family and my community. I don't think I would made it without them. And I don't think that we'd have real venues to cherish the caregivers. They are on the background all the time. This is 24-7 yeah. commitment, 24-7. That's something I struggle with, Jennifer. I ask myself the question, what can we do for them? I mean, at least we should have a universal day of spa for all <laughs> caregivers, okay? 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 Great, okay. yeah. <laughs> I don't know, you know, I just want you to know, for me, you're number one. Number one. Rabbi Alfredo Barardowski, thank you so much for shining a light on mental illness today. People with mental illness, you are not broken. Look at the positives. Look at all that you can channel into the good that you can bring to the world and all of the people that you can touch in a positive way with the lessons that you have. Everyone, please take a look at the show notes to follow Rabbi Alfredo on his journey and learn about what he has in store and all of the life coaching that he can offer to those of you who are out there with mental illness and caregivers. Thank you so much, Rabbi Alfredo. I wish you a blessed day. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, everybody.